I want you to take your copy of the scriptures, would you please, and turn to Colossians chapter 1. As you're turning there, I want to encourage you to be back tonight for a special time of worship around the Lord's table. We'll observe the Lord's Supper tonight and then uh, share, a, I'm going to share a special video presentation tonight called Signs of the End Times. If you've ever wondered about the signs of the end times and what you ought to do about the signs of the end times, I think this video tonight will be informative. We're going to tie it together with the Lord's Supper as we do this until he comes, right? That's what the Lord's Supper, we observe the Lord's Supper together. We worship him until he returns again. So we'll uh, enjoy the Lord's Supper tonight in a time of worship and fellowship. And then following that, we call them koinonia, which means fellowship. And uh, our fellowship began this morning when we gathered through those front doors. But we're going to have a koinonia tonight and uh, continue our fellowship. So join us tonight for snacks and and a time of fellowship following our evening service. Bring something to share if you'd like, and, and we'll look forward to that together tonight. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day, this day that we have to freely come and worship you, to gather around your word, to be encouraged and strengthened and, and directed in our walk with you. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ through the blood of his cross. We have seen and recognize and experience your grace on us. So, Lord, as we've gathered here together, I pray that you would help our hearts to be moldable and shapeable by you and moved by your spirit to obey your word today as we study it together. We thank you for the truths that we hold in our hands in your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to never neglect this word that that we have, that we would never neglect obeying the word that you give us. So, Lord, as we look at the word together, I pray that you would teach us and encourage us and strengthen us for obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 1. I want to look at verses 21 through 23 this morning. I want to go right to the word. So let's look at the scriptures together. Verses 21 through 23 in Colossians chapter 1. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Last time together, last week, we saw in Colossians chapter 1, in those verses 15 through 20, like a majestic landscape, the supremacy of Christ. We saw in those verses how it is that Christ can qualify us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light and can deliver those who trust in him from the domain of darkness and take them to his kingdom. And I remind you this morning, it's all possible because Jesus Christ is God. He created and sustains all things. He is head over the church. He arose from the dead and he brings reconciliation and peace by the blood of his cross for all who believe. There's an important word in verse 22, the word reconciled. Have you ever been reconciled in a relationship with another person? 
Have you ever been at odds with a person and you couldn't agree and maybe you clashed in severe ways and you came to the point where you finally were reconciled with that other person? And your relationship was restored and it was healed. And you remember how you felt? It's a beautiful feeling, isn't it? You ever do that? Have a reconciled relationship with someone where maybe it's a parent and a child and you're the parent and the child is rebellious and they finally turn and return and repent and come back and your relationship is restored. You've been reconciled. And there's a wonderful feeling that comes along with reconciliation. Today we come to verses 21 through 23, and there are three truths that I want you to know about those who know Christ. True Christ followers. In this passage, Paul directs the attention of the Colossian believers to the fact that because of the supremacy of Christ, they do not remain unreconciled to God. They do not remain alienated from God. They are reconciled. And it is because of what Christ has done and because they are reconciled, they will persevere. This is true of all who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But before Christ, before you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ, before you turned to Him in faith, things were far different between God and you, weren't they? You were not reconciled. Things were not right, were they? This is really true of all who repent of their sins. It's all true of those who turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith. The first thing that you need to know about true followers of Christ, and this is true, and this is the one thing that's true of every person on earth. When I'm talking about the three things that I want you to know this morning from this passage, The first thing that you need to know about a true follower of Christ is that before Christ, you were completely alienated from God. This is true of every person on earth. Every person on earth is alienated from God, is separated from God. There's a chasm, there's a a deep chasm between you and God before you come to Christ. In verse 21, Paul points to where we all begin our relationship to God. We all begin alienated from God. Verse 21, again. We are separated from God. We are alienated from God. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Where do we begin in a relationship to God? Are we friends with God? Are we peaceful towards God? Does God find us at at ease and at peace with Him, even though we have not confessed sin and believed in Jesus Christ? No, verse 21 makes it very clear that we begin separated, alienated from God, hostile in mind, and doing evil. That's exactly what it says. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Doesn't sound too good, does it? There is no hope for that person apart from Jesus Christ. Some might object to the thought of once being hostile toward God. Some might say, but wait a minute, that's not exactly what I was like toward God before He saved me. But I'm I'm sorry, but that's exactly what the Bible says about your life before Christ. That's exactly how God's Word describes your life before trusting Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 describes the mindset of the flesh. 
The person who is, has, has their mind set on the flesh, that is, that person without Christ, this is your life, this is my life before Christ. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, did, you may have done some good things as a person before you came to Christ. But outside of Christ, outside of God's grace in your life, outside of your faith in Jesus Christ, those are worthless and meaningless. You may have actually been a good person in comparison to other people you knew. And you may not have been as hostile as you, you know, look at your neighbor and go, well, that, that person's hostile to God, but not me. I wasn't hostile to God. But the word says something different. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. All your effort to do good is worthless in the sight of God apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing about our sin nature is seeking after God. We were not seeking God. Our nature is to do just the opposite. And because we are hostile toward God and sinning, we are alienated from God. We are by nature. We're so busy doing evil, we cannot please God. And we are separated from Him. Paul says the Colossian believers were at one time alienated. But that describes our condition before trusting Christ. We were at one time alienated from God because of our sin. So Paul describes for the Colossian believers where they were before they trusted Christ. And this is where you and I were before we came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Before we trusted Christ, we were alienated from God because we were hostile in mind and we were busy doing evil deeds. Now you might think, but wait a minute, I I wasn't that bad before Christ. (laughs) I wasn't that bad. But Titus 1.15 and 16 describes the condition of those who have not trusted Christ as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Titus 1 verses 15 and 16, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. We've talked about this before. The The conscience that's not formed by God's word can do anything it wants. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You might say, I wasn't that bad before Christ. But God's Word says you were. (laughs) Okay? Those who are detestable, those who are disobedient, those who are unfit for any good work to do just... In God's sight, do just the opposite of the things that are pleasing to God. They're busy doing evil deeds. And I'm telling you, as I point at you this morning, I've got three fingers pointing at me, okay? So I'm talking about my life before Christ too. This is all of us before Christ. Without Christ, we do not walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. As Paul prayed for the Colossian believers back in verse 10. Do you remember verse 10? Look at verse 10 for a minute. Apart from Christ, we don't naturally do things that please Him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. 
Paul prayed for the Colossian believers so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why would Paul pray that for them if it was a natural bent of theirs to do those things? It isn't natural, is it? Apart from Christ, we do not naturally do things that please Him, and we don't bear fruit in every good work, and we don't increase in the knowledge of God. Titus 3.3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I think the 17th century Puritan John Owen describes the human condition before Christ so well when he says to suppose that whatever God requireth of us, we have power of ourselves to do is to make the cross and grace of Jesus Christ of none effect. To think that anything that we can do is deserving of God's love for us. All good gifts come from the Lord. James 1.17 says every good gift comes. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Have you ever really grasped? Have you ever really grasped that you and I are completely incapable of doing any good thing without God's help? Have you ever really come to grips with all your good deeds before Christ are worthless? They're like filthy rags without the blood of Christ. Without Christ, there is no hope. And at this point, you're going, please, quit discouraging me. (laughs) Right? Without Christ, there is no hope. And we could look around and go, great, thank you. We came to be uplifted today. And that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to uplift you. Because it doesn't depend on us, does it? It doesn't depend on us. It depends... On Jesus Christ. There is reconciliation. There is a right relationship to be had. But it's only possible through Jesus Christ. That's the second thing I want you to know. I need you to know this about the true believer. The person who truly follows Christ. It's this. That Christ came and brought reconciliation for you. So the good news begins. There is reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Paul said in verse 21, You who once were alienated. That's a great phrase. You may not pay attention to that if you're just cruising through Colossians, you know, just reading along. But stop and think about that with me for a while. You who once were alienated. They were at one time alienated from God, but they are no longer alienated from God. I tell you all these things because there was a time, if if you've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, there was a time when you were alienated from God and that was not a good thing. But if you've trusted Christ, you are no longer alienated. You are reconciled. The Colossian believers at one time had been alienated from God, but they are no longer, and it's true of all followers of Christ, You and I were once alienated from God, but no more because of the blood of Jesus' cross. 
because there is reconciliation for those who are in Christ. Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What is reconciliation? You say, you say well, you say, I'm, I'm, I'm reconciled, but what does that mean? Back in verse 20, we saw that God was pleased to work through Christ to reconcile us to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. That was back in verse 20 last week. Reconciliation is that work that the blood of Jesus' cross worked on our behalf. It's what Christ worked in his body of flesh by his death, bringing those who believe in Christ into a right relationship with God. And it's not God who needs to be reconciled with us. It's us that needs to be reconciled to God. And Jesus Christ reconciles us to the Father. And it's all by God's grace toward us that we are reconciled. There's absolutely nothing that we've done to deserve to be reconciled. Do you realize what a gift reconciliation with God is? Titus chapter 3, verses 4-7 through say this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So what are the results of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.19 says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints, and we are members of the household of God. And Romans 5.10 declares this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Reconciliation. To God means that you've been saved by the love and life of Jesus Christ. And Titus 3.7, which I just read in Romans 8.17, proclaim that the child of God is also an heir. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be an heir? It's, it's a really good thing to be an heir to someone who is quite wealthy, isn't it? I mean, it could be if you know how to handle the wealth, right? And we all dream of that. So he was like, boy, wouldn't it be something to be a wealthy, you know, an heir to a wealthy parent or grandparent, right? As heirs of God, as heirs of Jesus Christ, we have a wealth beyond explanation, beyond description. Jesus Christ reconciles us, Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reconciles us. There is absolutely nothing we can do to reconcile ourselves. It is a work of Jesus Christ justified by His grace, accomplished by His shed blood and death on the cross. Jesus Christ was the acceptable sacrifice for our sins, and His sacrifice provides complete reconciliation. It's done. 
For those who are in Christ Jesus, you are reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul emphasizes here in verse 22 to the Colossian believers, you, you, Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And verse 22 emphasizes that Christ reconciles believers by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what Christ's finished work on the cross accomplished for you and me. That's what Christ's finished work on the cross accomplished for us, we who were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 19 indicates that, that we who once were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to share this passage with you in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So when you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Isn't that beautiful? You are no longer strangers and aliens because you've been reconciled by Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is the work of Christ. The result of the punishment of Jesus taking our sin on Him taking our punishment in His body of flesh by His death. Note too that there's another challenge there. That's another challenge to the Gnostics' assertion that Jesus Christ had not come in human flesh but was a spirit only. And I tell you this morning, if Christ did not come in human flesh, then there is no resurrection. And with no resurrection, there's no reconciliation. But Jesus did come in the flesh. And He did die for us. And He rose from the dead. Now note the purpose of Christ reconciling us to God. Verse 22 says, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Jesus Christ accomplishes for us what is impossible for us to accomplish for ourselves. Those who trust in Christ are made holy and blameless. Jesus Christ gave Himself. Titus 2.14 says, For us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Of the purifying work that Christ accomplishes on our behalf, Ephesians 5.27 says, It's so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in addition to being made holy and blameless, He makes us above reproach and without flaw. And that is such a beautiful truth of the reconciliation 
that we enjoy because of Jesus Christ. Some of you can look back into your life before Christ and you realize what God saved you from. There are many times when I come and I worship and I sing the praise choruses that you sing and I can't help but get emotional because I'm so thankful for the depths of depravity that God saved me from. And if you can look at your own heart and your own life and look back through the years and say, look at what God saved me from. I have so much to be thankful for. I have so much to worship God for. What a tremendous blessing. What a tremendous gift. And what joy there is in reconciliation. And as those whom Jesus will present holy and blameless and above reproach because of what he has accomplished on our behalf, we ought to live up to what we are in Christ. Have you ever thought about that? We're made holy. We're made blameless. We're made above reproach, but yet you know, and I know, in this life, every day, we're not so holy and blameless and above reproach, are we? We keep going, wait a minute, there's this sin I'm struggling with. And God, I need your help. But he says, wait a minute, between, between me and God, you're perfect. And though we aren't perfect in this life, and though we aren't perfect on earth, between Jesus Christ and God, we are reconciled. We are made perfect because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Jesus Christ is at work within us through His Holy Spirit to help us be the people He wants us to be working in us, helping day by day, making us more and more Christ-like as we struggle in our sinfulness. we got to live up to what we are in Christ. Kent Hughes notes, fellow believers, in light of our reconciliation, we ought to do everything in our power to be practically blameless and holy in this life. We must become what we are in the Lord. We must submit ourselves ever more completely to the God who works in you, Philippians 2.13. Practical holiness should be our life's business because of Jesus Christ. Because we are made blameless because of Jesus Christ. Because we're made acceptable, we're made holy and perfect without blemish because of Jesus Christ. We ought to live up to that. Live up to what you are in Christ. Live up to your reconciliation. The third thing I want you to know about true followers of Christ is that those who are reconciled will persevere. In verse 23, Paul goes on to declare that those who are reconciled, those who have trusted Christ, will persevere in the faith. They will continue in their walk with Christ. They will continue in their faith. Look at verse 23 again. If indeed... Colossians 1, verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Those who are reconciled continue. They persevere, and there is a practical holiness that's worked out in their lives. Paul is not suggesting, and we need to be careful here, Paul is not suggesting that there's a chance that the Colossian believers won't continue in the faith. That's not what the if indeed statement means here. 
when you look at verse 23 where it says, if indeed you continue in the faith. He's not saying, I'm not so sure about you. I don't know about your reconciliation. Paul's not suggesting that there's a chance the Colossian believers and we, those who follow Christ, won't continue in the faith. I think what John MacArthur notes on this passage is very helpful. He says, people give evidence of being truly reconciled when they continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. The Bible repeatedly testifies that those who are truly reconciled will continue in the faith. In the parable of the soils, Jesus describes those represented by the rocky soil as those who, when they hear and receive the word with joy, and, and these have no firm root, they believe for a while and then a time of temptation fall away. And by falling away, they gave evidence that they were never truly saved. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine. Speaking of apostates, the apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. You need to know that those who are reconciled, those who have truly confessed their sin and trusted Christ, are reconciled. And those who have been reconciled will continue in the faith, stable and steadfast and not shifting. But for those who are like the rocky soil, for those who have no firm root, they will be of whom Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, where he says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But those who are reconciled, Paul says they will not shift from the hope of the gospel they heard. There's an important indicator here. The gospel needs to be heard, doesn't it? They will not shift from the hope of the gospel that they heard. Jesus uses the imagery of the branch and the vine in John 15.4 and makes clear that those who abide in him will bear fruit. John 15.4, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, those who abide in Christ, those who are reconciled, they will remain and they will show evidence that they are reconciled. They will bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, we can go back to verse 10 for a look at what Paul had in in mind. Paul prayed for the believers. We noted it earlier that they would, well, verse 9 says, be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Colossians 1.10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruit in the life of one who is abiding in Christ, one who is reconciled, will be good works. And good works are the result of reconciliation, not the other way around. Okay, Good works are the result of reconciliation, not the cause of reconciliation. You aren't saved because of your good works. You do good works because you're saved. We aren't reconciled because we do good works. We do good works because we are reconciled. 
fruit in the life of one reconciled to Christ will also show itself, I think, an increase in the knowledge of God. That's what verse 10 says. And the results of reconciliation and an increase in the knowledge of God, I think we see in verse 23, it's the proclamation, the results of an increase in obedience to Christ and doing good works and an increase in the knowledge of God. I think the results, the outcome is the fact that you become a reconciliation proclaimer. That's a neat title, isn't it? Reconciliation proclaimer. We begin proclaiming the reconciliation. That's what fruit in the life of the believer ought to look like. Know what Paul says of the gospel in verse 23. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. How did they hear it? Someone proclaimed it to them. All right? Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And that doesn't mean that it's reached the ends of the earth, that everybody in the world's heard it, but the idea is that the gospel is widespread and all kinds of people groups have heard it and should hear it. It's for everyone. And of which I, Paul, became a minister. Or I'd call him a proclaimer. A reconciliation proclaimer. That's what he's doing. And that's what you and I ought to be doing. That's what our fruit ought to look like. The fruit of the reconciliation in our lives ought to result in good works and proclamation of reconciliation. The hope of the gospel is to be proclaimed to those who are in need of reconciliation. And it's to be proclaimed by those who are reconciled. It's the responsibility of those who are reconciled to spread the message of reconciliation. And I think that a believer in Christ who is growing in his walk with Christ can't help but proclaim the reconciliation. The good news. The gospel. If you have good news, you want people to know about it, don't you? I think Paul's declaration here that the gospel is proclaimed and for which he became a minister ought to be a reminder to us that we, we who are reconciled have the responsibility of proclaiming the reconciliation. We have that responsibility to proclaim reconciliation to others. Just as Jesus says to the apostles in Mark 16, 15, we are to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That means in the home, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, in your place of business, and around the world, right? Who's to proclaim the reconciliation of Christ? We are. Those who are reconciled, those who are reconciled now have the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 20 describes our reconciliation to Christ and our ministry as believers this way. And this is a beautiful passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. 
we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Before Christ, you and I were separated. We were alienated from God. I want to speak to the person who may not know Christ this morning, unbeliever, a person who's never confessed their sin and turned to Jesus Christ in saving faith today. That's, that's you, alienated from God. But we, as 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Today is the day. Come to Christ today. Confess your sin. And enjoy the reconciliation to God that the blood of Christ has made possible for you. And believer today, those of you who are followers of Christ, are you aware of the fact that you have been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for you? And are you trying to to live up to what He has created in you? Or are you still just trying to earn His approval? Have you, have you grasped a hold of what you are proclaimed in Jesus Christ? Or you let Satan beat you up over your past? Or you let Satan harangue you because you struggle with sin? Or you reach ahead and grab a hold of the reconciliation that Jesus Christ provided for you and the perfection that He makes you toward God in Christ Jesus. Great hope. Great hope in the reconciliation for those who are in Christ. I say this morning that you and I, and those who follow Christ, ought to rest in the joy of knowing that when you confess your sin and believe in Jesus, you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Enjoy your fellowship with Him. Enjoy the fellowship with Jesus Christ that, that God made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. And then as you grow in your walk with Christ, proclaim your reconciliation to others. Tell the good news. Pray with me. Father in heaven, what good news. What good news. The reconciliation provided for us through the blood of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so undeserving. God, I know my heart. And I know you know my heart. So I can say, I know I'm a wretch. And I do not deserve your love. But God, thank you. Thank you for reconciling me through Jesus Christ. And God, may your people today be thankful for the reconciliation that they enjoy because of Christ. Made holy made acceptable, made spotless, and and made without blemish because of Jesus Christ. We know that we can't do this without Christ. We know that we struggle day by day to be the people that you want us to be. 
But we know that we can be the people that you want us to be because you have given us your reconciliation through Jesus Christ and you've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to encourage us, to instruct us, to admonish us when we need that. And so, Lord, we depend upon you wholly and completely. And because we have to depend upon you, we thank you for the blood of the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ shed blood for us, bringing reconciliation. Father, I pray for individuals this morning who have not trusted you, that they would realize their need for you and the great hope that remains for them in Jesus Christ. God, that they might confess that they are sinners today and believe in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross for them. Father, we thank you for this special time of worship today. Help us leave here today renewed in our commitment to you and energized to be proclaimers of reconciliation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.